Take your Bibles and or your devices and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. What time's the first football game today? All right, somebody lied. I heard noon. I hate it when people lie. I really do. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Thou shalt not lie. Two o'clock, right? Oh, I got plenty of time then. I know the Tigers play at one, but we don't care anymore. So, a... Two o'clock. And I've been told by the Lord to say that we're all praying Peyton Manning win, right? It'd be nice to see him go out. Such an old man at 40. Woo. Be a nice, cool way to go out. However, I don't want to burst your bubble, but God don't care who wins that game, though. Because I guarantee you there's Christians on each team. I love that. I love that. I always joke about it with, uh, used to do it particularly when I used to be able to play basketball many, many moons ago. But in one locker room, You'd have everybody, everybody get together and pray, oh, Lord, please, let us win. Everybody put your hands in. Our Father's heart in heaven. Now let's go out and kill somebody. And in the other locker room, oh, Lord, let us win. Our Father, now let's go out and kill it. And like, okay, now, which side is God going to pick? What God wants is to be glorified, so I'll let you figure that out. Y'all don't seem too excited about that. I thought that, I thought that was profound. That's as good as it's going to get, but... All right, turn to Romans chapter 1. If you have not already, we will get there in a few minutes. A couple of things I do want to mention to you as, as we get into today's message. Number one, back here in, the, what do we call this back here? The curve? Is that what we call it? Yes. Did Mary speak? There is a God. Glory, hallelujah. My wife spoke. And come on down here and share your testimonies, will you? You know you want to talk about like when we met and how you were overwhelmed by my incredible whatever it was. I'm not sure what that personality, I'm sure that's what it was. Because it certainly when we met I was five foot ten, 125 pounds. All man. <laughs> We've got a picture of our first we went on a youth trip in nineteen seventy down to, to uh, Panama City. It's kind of where we met and began to kinda of like each other. And all the women on the trip were after me, but Mary anyway. So, you know, we're down on the, we're down on the beach in, in Panama City in 1970. I don't know where this picture came from. We got me and, and a couple of my friends, and we're standing around, and we all had mirror shades on. And we were like 16 years old. We had mirror shades on and T-shirts because we're all too embarrassed to take our shirts off. Because we, we were all just, I mean, we weighed about 100, literally I weighed 125 pounds. But uh, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I found it significant. All right. Back here in the curve where it says starting point. Uh, Russell mentioned it at the end, at the end. But if you're interested in finding out what a Christ church is, who, what we believe, where we came from, what we stand for, what we're trying to accomplish, uh, how the, why we believe the Lord has us here, you would like me to check it out. This would be your home. Ask some questions. Scott Helvey, who is the teacher of the class, will be back there in the curve at the end of the service today, and you could sign up. We're going to start a new class probably February 7th, something like that, and uh, uh, we'll be meeting across the street at Plumpy's. At 9.30 on Sunday morning, about six weeks, six, seven weeks. And Scott teaches it. He'll be back there. He can answer more questions for you, sign you up. If you're interested in just finding out more about Christ Church. And also, if, if you're interested in taking my next precept Bible study, which will begin uh, February, uh, I think it's the 
fourth, maybe. Uh, something like that. We're going to start, anyway, we're doing a sign-up right now for that, so I know how many books to order. If you're interested in that next precept study, which will be on Wednesday nights here, uh, Chris Brown will be at the table there by my uh, palatial office. You can uh, sign up for precept afterwards as well. All right. If you look at the top of your handout, we began last week, and we're going to be in for the next few weeks and kind of heading us up toward Easter. Uh, I really believe God led me to do this this particular series for a lot of reasons. One of them is it's, it's something I'm very passionate about. It's something that, that if you'll notice the top of your handout, it, it says the series is about answers because truth matters and the acronym ACT. I still haven't told you what that is and I'm letting you figure that out. And if you think you have well, what your idea of what acronym for ACT might be, Feel free to send it to me or tell me, and, and eventually we'll get around to that. But the, the point is, truth matters. And I want you to notice 1 Peter 3.15, because it's really important that we keep coming back to this. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That means set him aside. And always, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear or gentleness and respect. It's really important that we understand because we have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that we're born again, that we're Christ followers, that we're Christians, we're disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, the God who came and died in our place that we might be redeemed, paid the sin price so I could be saved, you could be saved, that we need to understand we have hope. And that word hope means confident expectation. I know what awaits me. I know who my Savior is. I know I have peace, I have joy, I have a reason for existence. All those things are significant in my life. And the reason Jesus has not come back yet is that we are continuing as the church to share the good news of the gospel, for the gospel is what saves people, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's a high privilege and a call on our lives as Christians to share that gospel with our world that's desperately searching for truth, desperately searching for answers. Every presidential cycle and and it comes around. Every time there's a presidential election, you constantly hear people saying that I'm going to bring change. I'm going to bring hope and change. And the only one who's genuinely going to give anyone hope and change anyone's life for the better is Jesus Christ. We know him. He is our savior. He's the reason we exist. He's the reason we do what we do. It's And so... Truth matters, and there are answers, and that's the reason I was led to do this, and you'll notice what we're talking about last week and this week, is how do you know there's a God? How do you know there's a God? We're going to start there. Then we're going to transition into how do you know the God of the Bible is God? How do you know Jesus Christ is God? What about the problem of pain and suffering? How do you deal with that as a believer? And here's the reason why. Truth matters. It just matters because what does truth do? If you never learn anything else for the rest of your life being around me, you're going to learn one thing. What is it? Truth matters, and truth does what? It sets you free. And every human being on planet Earth is in bondage to sin. We're born sinners. That's by nature what we do. It's about me. Jesus Christ comes and sets you free from that bondage and gives you peace right now, eternal life, 
a reason for existence, purpose, meaning, and you can share that with others. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be Ravi Zacharias or Michael Ramsden or William Lane Craig, Hank Hanegraaff. You don't have to be a great theologian to share truth, answer questions. And that's one of the things I want you to see as we begin to look at this. So last week, we began to talk about how do you know there's a God? What we're really focusing on, first, this first part is, number one, it's where we were last week and we're going to move on to a more specific part today for us, is that everything in the universe screams that there's a designer. Somebody made this. It's not a bunch of random accidents coming together and exploding into this. That somebody designed it, somebody had a plan, it's too detailed, it's too specific, it fits together too well. So last week we looked at nature, we looked at the universe. So we're going to begin to focus today on us. That in the design of a human being, in man, you see a designer. It's just, we're too sophisticated to be an accident. Napoleon was on a ship one night with a bunch of his officers and leaders, and they were talking around, sitting around talking about how there was no God. And Napoleon simply turned to his leaders and he said, look into the sky. He said, gaze there for a moment. Who made all those stars? You say there is no God. I ask you, Napoleon said, who made all those stars? In Isaiah chapter 40, the Bible says this. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. And the Bible tells us and here and in other places, as we wrap up the focus on the universe, nature and transition into man if there's not a star that hangs in the sky that God doesn't know it by name and there are untold billions of them the Bible says in Genesis God simply spoke and they existed somebody designed this universe it screams a designer Philip Yancey in his great book Soul Survivor writes these words Religion and not science at least proposes an answer to two questions. Number one, why is there something rather than nothing? Or as Stephen Hawking put it, why does the universe, quote, bother to exist? Why is it, number two says something, why is that something so beautiful, that something that exists, so beautiful and orderly? The burden of proof is on those who see order and try to explain how it came from chaos They see intricacy, and they say there is no artist. They see design, but refuse to admit even the possibility of a designer. They see beauty and intelligent life forms, and say it all came from randomness. They see a world packed with pleasure, goodness, and joy, and say it's all an accident. They see the sky, but they do not see heaven. They see a tree, but they don't see the hand of God. Someone has said, pity the poor atheist who sees a beautiful sunrise and he has no one to thank. I have a picture on my computer, and, I, and it, it, you, you've heard me talk about it a bunch. I love to go to Destin, Florida. I love to go down. To, I'm not, my, 
really a beach person, but I love to go down to the beach either at sunrise or sunset and just stand there and look out to the horizon and then look up at the sky and see where they meet and just contemplate who my God is. That's just one small part of one planet in one solar system, in one galaxy, in a universe full of planets and galaxies and stars. And my God says that I, you, are the most incredible and important thing he ever made. If you don't believe somebody designed that, you're not being true to the evidence. You can reject the Bible, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. You can reject Jesus Christ as the Savior, the Son of God. We're going to talk about, about that in a few weeks. But if you're fair, honest, whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, whatever you might call yourself, a humanist, whatever you might be, if you're honest to the evidence, it simply screams this was created by something Somebody, I'm not accepting the God of the Bible, which is how we get where most people are. I just can't take the Bible, so it can't be God. Well, who did it then? Stephen Hawking and others said, well, it might be aliens. Really? That's what you're going to go to? Not God, we'll go with aliens. What they look like, how'd they do it? Somebody designed it. In this political season, I get so tired of turning on the television and there's a new poll, poll for this poll. We had a poll this week, uh, just poll about everything. George Gallup, who's the name of where all polls began, said this. He was the founder of the famous Gallup poll and his statistician said, quote, I could prove God statistically. Take the human body alone. The chance of all the functions of the individual that just would just, ha- that would just happen is a statistical monstrosity. He said, imagine if you were differently made differently, if your ears were inside out, or if your nose was upside down. If your nose were upside down, what would happen to you when it rained? You'd drown. Particularly if your nose was the size of mine. It'd be raining buckets in there. God designed you. Here's what I want us to go to the next transition on your outline. Creation screams a designer in man. Take the human heart. Just your heart. I really want you to focus today and meditate on this when you get home. Every day when I wake up, I just thank God that I have the capacity to get out of bed. Now, many of you are younger than me. Most of you are younger than me, and you don't understand that. You will one day. Just the capacity to get up and attack another day. Thank you, Lord. The human heart alone. It's the size of your fist. It's about 12 ounces, and in 12 hours can do enough work to raise 65 tons off the ground. It's perfectly designed to pump 2,000 gallons of blood a day. Your kidneys, your lungs, your lungs are more than air sacs. They're designed to filter oxygen out of the air you breathe. They contain 300 billion tiny blood vessels called capillaries in these organs. Your entire blood supply washes through your lungs once every minute. Incredible. Your kidneys filter out 1,700 liters of impurities a day. Your heart will beat 70, will beat for 70 or 80 years without faltering. How does it get sufficient rest between beats? Take your ears. They were designed to capture sound. The grooves, the bumps, and the ridges were created to catch passing sound waves and channel them into the eardrum. Your hands were made to grip and feel, your nose to smell. Someone said, I was born upside down. My nose runs and my feet smell. The nose was put right above your mouth so we could enjoy the flavor of food better. 
Take your fingers. You have enough grip to carry heavy loads while sensitive enough to feel the softest strand of hair or someone's breath. When you go to the crime scenes, CSI and all of that, the forensic evidence, footprints, fingerprints, hair, skin fragments, blood fragments, DNA, they give you a compilation of who did a particular crime. Incredible. The average brain, that'd probably be me, the average brain has about 100 billion cells far more advanced than any computer system in the world. Your tongue has 8,000 taste buds. Your eye is the most amazing. Your eyes have focusing muscles that move the eyes about 100,000 times a day. That same eye with its small retina contains over 130 million light-sensitive cells. God even gave your eyes windshield wipers that move at the incredible speed of one five-hundredth of a second. It cannot be an accident. If you lose one, the best modern science can do If you lose an eye, the best modern science can do is give you a glorified marble to put in the empty socket. Sir Isaac Newton said, quote, in the absence of any other proof, the thumb alone would convince me of God's existence. And I quoted for you last week Charles Darwin, obviously writer of Origin of Species and the God of Evolution, this He said, quote, to suppose that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Again, Sean Pittman, surgeon, medical doctor, said, the best of modern human science and engineering has not even produced a fraction of the computing and imaging capability of the human eye. Now, I want to read you a little brief encounter here, and I'm doing this for a reason, that I want you excited about who your God is, number one, that he exists, number two, who he is, I want you excited that, as we're going to discover the Bible, that he is the God, that is God, that your Savior, Jesus Christ, is exactly who he claimed to be, the God, and the only God who could save, and I think, and by the way, all I've done last week and this week so far, all I have done scratch the surface and I mean that just barely touch the surface of the evidence. You go any of the recommended books that I gave, you read any of those, that's again that's just a small sampling of all the evidence that's out there that says this universe and you were created. Paul Brand was a sur- is a surgeon. Here's what he said. He says he stands in worshipful awe as he studies the human body. He was explaining the use of many wonders of human physiology to someone when he said, quote, Paul Brand said, Do you know that about, about the ductus arteriosus? It's a bypass vessel. It routes blood directly to a developing fetus's extremities instead of to the lungs. At the moment of birth, suddenly all blood must pass through the lungs to receive oxygen because now the baby is breathing air. In a flash, a flap descends like a curtain deflecting the blood flow, and a muscle constricts the ductus arteriosus. After performing that one act, the muscle gradually dissolves and gets absorbed by the rest of the body. Without this split-second adjustment, the baby could never survive outside the womb. This is a man who is a surgeon who obviously knows what he's talking about. That's an accident. For those who think abortion is okay... Clearly, that's a human being. That's a life that God has created. In Psalm 8, the Bible says this. 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, who has displayed thy splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man, man, that thou takes thought of him, and the son of man, that thou dost care for him? Why do you even care about us, God? Why do you care about me in particular? And again, I tell you to hearken back to Genesis 1 and 2. God creates for five days, and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. He creates water, he creates life, he creates plants, he cre- creates animals, creates everything. And then he creates human beings, and he says, it's, it's very good. God created man in his image. It matters. We're not just a bunch of protoplasm that happened to come together over billions of years. We are created in the image of God. Not because we say that and we're religious nuts, because the evidence screams it. In the universe, in nature, in you. A couple more quick examples. In miracles. You say, well, there's no such thing as a miracle. We think about miracles as things only God can do, and that's a good way to think of them. Certain things happen, there just is absolutely no other way it could have happened except some supernatural superior being did those but William Lane Craig a brilliant man talking about miracles or not he says they're not things done against natural law but according to natural law established by this miracle worker he gets a couple of examples number one he says it's a law of nature that oxygen and potassium combust when they're combined you take oxygen and combat potassium together they burst into flames but in your body You have oxygen and potassium both in your body, yet you don't burst into flames. Does that mean it's a miracle when I'm violating the laws of nature? No, because the law merely states what happens under idealized conditions, assuming no other factors are interfering. In this case, however, there are other factors interfering with the combustion, and so it doesn't take place. God is doing what he created you to do. Another example, if you drop an object, it will fall to the earth. An apple falls from a tree and you reach out to catch it before it hits the ground. You're not violating the law of gravity. You're merely intervening in that law. Catching the apple doesn't overturn the law of gravity or require the formulation of a new law. It merely is the intervention of a person with free will who overrides the natural causes operative in that particular circumstance. And that essentially is what God does when he causes a miracle to occur. God does things that we don't understand. Wonder, wonder why? Because he's God. So whether you're talking about the universe, you're talking about nature, you're talking about miracles, you're talking about you, it all says there's somebody superior to us out here who designed it, who's in control, who's got it. Now you have two choices. You can believe in the supernatural that God created the universe down to you. That's worldview number one. Or you can have worldview number two. Like, or you can get what's behind door number three. Door two. The worldview is simply everything that exists from the moon and the sun and the stars down to you, down to that fetus in the womb. 
everything that is so sophisticated, so detailed, and again, we've only scratched the surface. Worldview number one, which what believers have, is that God created that. Something supernatural beyond us did that. Or view number two is that it's a bunch of random things that just happened. It's a random process. Spontaneously, it just happened. Time, space, everything we see. Now, both of these, if we're honest, require faith. Which one requires more faith? Honestly, objectively, fairly. Which one requires more faith? It's the one that says it's all random. Because where'd the first energy come from? To create the process in the first place. They don't have an answer for that. The Bible tells us in the beginning, God created. That word, that phrase in Hebrew means before there was even space, time, continuum, there was God. In the beginning, God created. If you study Genesis, how did Moses know so much about it? It fits the fossil record. God created and laid it out, which requires more faith. Sean Pittman again, the surgeon said, quote, As it currently stands, the theory of evolution is based only on correlation and inference not on demonstration. The best examples of evolution in action deal with the evolution of very simple enzymatic functions. And even this evolution has its clear limitations. So man has to choose which worldview. God created us. This is why this is so important. God created man and he said, this is very good. He breathed in the man the breath of life. He created man in his image. Adam and Eve were spiritual beings. Everything else was not. They have intellect. They have a spirit. They have a soul. They have the capacity to emote, to think, to create. Because God made it that way. We are so far superior anything else in the universe. And then God places them in paradise and says, do not eat this one fruit, because if you do, you will die. They had the capacity to choose to love God and obey him, or to love self and to give in to Satan's war. Which did they choose? They chose to give in and reject the God who had created them had placed them in paradise they chose self over God because it said they would be Satan convinced them you will be like God and we're still doing that to this day we have a choice to make as human beings to look at the evidence which screams a designer and say who is that designer and submit to him or we say there is no God There is no designer. I'm God. I will rule my existence, which is what most people do, and choose for myself who my God will be. Any choice other than that of the one true God, we will see as we progress through this, is a choice of self. As we will see again as we progress through, God in his wisdom, in his love, in his compassion, in his mercy, in his, in his grace, he provided atonement for Adam and Eve. And then ultimately sent Jesus Christ to provide atonement for the rest of the human race. 
including them. So look at Romans chapter 1, verse 20. So God says, in light of that creation, we've seen it screams a designer. Now here's what God says. We'll talk about whether this God is God in a couple of weeks. 120, Paul writes, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, creation. Here's what's understood. When you study creation, if you're fair and honest and objective, here's what it says to you, creation. God's eternal power and Godhead or divinity so that man, they are without excuse. Here's what God is saying. There's no question that I'm here. There's no question that I created. There's no question that there's a designer. These things are clearly understood. Clearly, my eternal power and divinity my Godhead. Now, therefore, you're without excuse. You're without excuse. You've got to make a decision. In Acts chapter 14, the apostle Barnabas and Paul says, it says this, Acts chapter 14. When the apostle, apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and they ran in among the multitude crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing Why are you doing these things? We also, Paul and Barnabas, are men with the same nature as you. We preach to you that you should turn from these useless things, idols, to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us ruin, rain, excuse me, rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. God says, here I am. Here I am. I'm not only going to give you a universe, I'm going to give you the right amount of rain, I'm going to give you the right amount of the proper soil, the right amount of sun, so that you can grow food, so that you can enjoy life. I'm going to give you uh, the inner sense as a man where you can have joy all of these things, you have no excuse not to seek that love. That's what he's saying. We as a human race, time after time, study history, look at our society now, we simply say, God, if I need you, I'll let you know. But in the interim, I got this. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. So let's look at the next part on your outline. Number two. Not only does creation scream a designer, your conscience, your conscience shouts a deity. Your conscience shouts a deity. You're different. You're different. How many of you have a pet? I'm going to assume by the very fact you have a pet, you love your pet. It's not you, is it? Some of, I had dogs I thought were smarter than me growing up, and they may have been. They're still not human. And you love them. They can provide companionship. A lot of good things. But they're not you. You're different. Look at verse 18, Romans 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest or made evident in 
them. In them. For God has shown it to them. Verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him the honor he deserved. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now what we've looked at up to this point is the external evidence that there's a God in, in nature, in the universe, in you, the sophistication that is you, and in miracles, what God has done. What we're going to look at now is the internal evidence that's within you. Number one, morality. We understand and operate with moral principles. Only mankind has a sense of God, a right, and wrong. We think about things like, is there a God? You think your dog is sitting around thinking, I wonder if there's a God. You know what your dog is sitting around thinking? I wonder if I've got to get up to go outside and go to the bathroom or if I get in trouble if I did it right here. Or when, when, when's my next, when are they going to feed me again? When am I going to get some more water? I like that dog next door. That, that's all your dog is thinking about. But you, if you're honest, every human being, if they're honest, deep within them at some point in their life, they're asking the question, is there a God? Is there an afterlife? Is there more than this? What happens to me when I die? If they say they don't, they're not being honest. Prior to, I can, I can remember, I got saved at age 16, and I can remember growing up as a kid, and we were in church every Sunday, but we didn't talk about Jesus, we didn't talk about the Bible, but we were in church. And I always wondered about, who is God really? And I was terrified that I might die one day, or I was a bad boy, and, I, and God would get me. And I had, you know, who is God? And this one day somebody began to explain to me who Jesus Christ was, and I'm thinking, that's pretty interesting. It got my attention. And obviously it led me to be a follower of Christ because it made sense what he offered because everybody says he treats everybody the same. Who did he die for? Just the good people? How many of us are those? The Bible says how many of us are good? Zero. There are none righteous, no, not one. Yet he died for us anyway. We were his enemies, Romans 5 says, and he chose to die for us. We're different. We, even if you're not a Christian, and again, we're, we're talking back to evidence that there is a God, we're different. We think on moral terms. A couple of examples. You've seen old movies, or even now, I don't exactly, I haven't been in court lately, thank God. And, but... Last time I was in court, sometimes they use the Bible. Used to, I don't know if they do anymore. What do they always say when you when they, if you're going to swear you in to give testimony? What do they ask you? Are you going to do? Do you swear to tell the what? The what? How do they know there is truth? Where'd that come from? Where'd the concept of truth come from? We were listening to Robbie Zacharias Friday night. Several of us went to hear him speak, and I. I you know what I think of Robbie Zacharias. He's a brilliant man. I love who he is. And, and using that idea and just talking about the facts, things that we think about. He's talking about being with college students a lot, and he does that. Talking about in, in a lab situation. If you're, doing, if you're performing an experiment in the lab 
at the end of the experiment, what you want, you always want to tell what the truth about what you discovered, right? Again, how do you know there is such a? Is it truth relative? That's what our society believes. Where we are, it's all relative. Give me another example. If I brought an infant child up here this morning and said, God has led me, I believe that God has decided we're going to sacrifice this child to the altar of Christianity, and I, be, and I pulled out a knife and went to stab that child, what would you do? You'd stop me any way you could, wouldn't you? said, I like Randy, but he's lost his mind. Right? Because you, you know that's wrong, right? We all know that's wrong. Where'd that come from? Where'd that concept of right and wrong come from? Evolution? Come on, please. It's stupid. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It doesn't fit the evidence. You have a conscience. Where'd it come from? You're telling me your conscience evolved from other primates who don't have a conscience? Well, wait a minute. You can't have that. You're different. You're unique. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, truth matters. Now go back to the top of your outline for a second. You understand now why the Bible says be ready to give always to give a reason for the defense for the what that's in you? Hope. Where'd that come from? Where'd that concept come from? You're telling me this all that life is is this? Please, it doesn't even make sense. You're too sophisticated. You're, you're too smart. We're, we're, too, we're different. We're not animals in the sense of what animals are. We're unique. We have the ability to emote. We have a sense of right and wrong. Charles Colson, some of you may not be further and further away from Watergate, may not know who Charles Colson was, but he was... Uh, basically Nixon's hit man during the whole thing of Watergate and he got, after he went to prison after all that was said and done in the 70s and he got saved. Wrote an incredible book called Born Again back in the, in the late 70s early 80s and he became a Christian has a ministry now called Prison Fellowship a brilliant guy when you listen to him talk. Charles Coulson, Coulson wrote these words about meaning in life morality he wrote the core of the controversy is not science it is at a titanic struggle between opposing worldviews, naturalism and theism. Is the universe governed by blind material forces or by a lo- loving personal being? Some do not want to believe in a loving personal being who created the universe because they do not want to be accountable to anyone besides themselves. Here's what it comes down to. We have a moral compass. Believer or non-believer, you have a moral compass. Christians, our moral compass, we've surrendered to Jesus Christ. I want to be like Jesus. Non-believer's moral conscience is whatever they choose it to be. It can be a number of things. Primarily it comes back to what I think is right or wrong. For Christians, it's what God, what does God say? We follow him because he's proven himself to be God. But let's say you reject God. You still have a moral conscience. But here's the thing. If you're honest, again, I'm going to keep saying it because it's so true. If you're honest, if you're fair, if you're objective to the evidence externally and internally, and you reject God, it is not an intellectual decision. It is a moral decision. If you say there is no God, you're saying, I don't care what the evidence says. 
I do not believe because I don't want to. And the reason you don't want to is that if you say, yes, there is a God, you are now accountable to that God and you refuse to be accountable to him. I've had a number of people, with, when I can get them through the discussion, that's the point we reach. And you know what? I still love them. That's the important thing you got to come back to. First Peter 3.15, you want to share that hope with gentleness and respect. I love every human being has that right. They choose that, that path. That's fine. I still love them. I still pray for them. If they want to be stupid, that's their business. Because that's what it is. It is a moral rejection of the truth. Don't confuse me with the truth is what they're saying. Secondly, it's not just a moral decision. Morality, it's meaning. It's meaning. Meaning of life. If you don't believe in God, life simply is a bunch of protoplasm mass hanging around. Therefore, you can abort infants in the womb. doesn't bother. It's not murder. It's just protoplasm. Euthanasia doesn't matter. It's an old coot. Get rid of him. But if you're a believer, every single human life matters. It is of incredible, immense value because it's created in the image of God. Even people that don't agree with you, even your enemies. You see, the difference between Christians and non-Christians is we love everybody because Jesus loved them. He loved them. We love them because that's who we are. Even our enemies. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Ask God to bless people who despitefully use you. Somebody curses you, you turn around and bless them. That's not a normal human response. That's a Christ-like response. Jesus is hanging on the cross, put there by people who beat him where you could not recognize his face any longer, had exposed his vital organs, had put that crown of thorns that were spitting on him, mocking him, and he looks down and says what? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's not human. That's God. That's who we follow. That's who we follow. Now, you can reject Jesus as God. Again, you have the right to do that. But the evidence, as we will see, says that he is exactly who he said he was. Before Abraham was, I am. God's name is I am. No beginning, no end, I am. The evidence says there is a God. The evidence will say, as we see, that God is Jesus Christ. Third point. It's the magnificence. Magnificence. Someone has said, we are so blessed because our God not only created the world, he is in control of the world. He's not only created sound, he created music. He not only created people, he created love. He not only created sight, he created color and beauty. He not only created the sense of smell, he's created apple blossoms. He not only created touch, he created spring grass and rose petals. He not only created taste, he created oranges and peaches. He not only created me, he created you. And we can experience friendship and love. God has not only created us, he created us to know him. To know him. Only human beings can truly understand the magnificence of life, what it's all about. And only people who have come to know Jesus Christ can truly understand in its very depths. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 14. 2, 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, like the Jews did, by nature, who they are, 
do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to the gospel. Now here's the point. He's saying Gentiles who didn't have the law, you Jews had the law, you had Moses, you had all the books, you had everything, and yet you rejected. The Gentiles, all they had was their conscience. Their conscience. And God revealed himself in creation and in conscience, and they began to seek, and they began to do the things that are in the law, not even knowing the law, like not lying, not killing, taking care of things that are in the Ten Commandments. They knew inherently, like we talked about earlier, the example with the baby, or the example of truth, right and wrong. They knew it because they had a conscience. Someone has said, every human being is created with a vacuum that only God can fill. That only God can fill through the person of Jesus Christ. So back to Romans 1.18 again. 1.18. We're going to wrap it up here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We're going to talk in detail about this next week. Let me just give you this and then we're going to be done. Here's what God is saying. We read that and we think, well, he's talking about hell there. That's not what he's talking about here. I'll share that with you next week. Here's what he's saying. God hates unrighteousness. So he sent Jesus Christ to pay the price for our unrighteousness, our rebellion. And so he reveals himself to mankind in creation, in conscience, and ultimately in Christ. And the more we reject God, what we're doing is taking truth that he reveals and we're pushing it down. We're pushing it down, suppressing, pushing it down, pushing it down. And the more you tamp something down, does it just spring back automatically? No, it gets harder and harder for that truth to get through. And so we suffer the wrath of God because we live in unrighteousness. For example, we get to the point where killing another human being is no big deal, so we kill the other human being. If I go out on the parking lot today and shoot somebody, what are they going to do for me? They're going to arrest me me, put me in jail for the rest of my life, or kill me, because I've rejected truth. God says you're suffering because you won't respond to truth. So let me challenge you and encourage you as we leave today. The evidence screams somebody designed this universe right down to you and me. There's no doubt. If you're honest, your conscience tells you there's somebody bigger than me out there. Who is it? Now, I know some of you are thinking, we believe all this already, Randy. Why do you keep harping on all this? Why are you doing this? Here's why. I believe it. I have for many years. But hopefully what will happen as you see this evidence, and again, all we've done is scratch the surface, that you'll be thrilled and excited because there are answers. You'll be confident about who your Savior is. And you'll share that truth with other people. Because he's real.
He is God. He alone can save people. You will be concerned, not just go through life, say, I choose to be a Christian, but care about other people who have not. Pray for them. Share truth with them. Not be afraid. Not be ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. I hope what this does is solidify in your heart that believing in Jesus is the truth. And it motivates you to share Jesus with other people. Because that's what's going to change our world. Not a new president. No matter who that person might be. Only Jesus Christ is going to change our country. One heart at a time. Because he is God. And it matters. Truth matters. Bow your heads, please. Father, we thank you that there is such a thing as truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. That's pretty straightforward. He said, I am the truth. And because I'm the truth, I can set people free. He said that, proved it. He's exactly who he said he was. So, Lord, I pray as Christians, those of us here who are believers, we'd be excited about the evidence that proves that there is a God, the evidence that proves that that God is Jesus, the evidence that what we believe is the truth. And then, Lord, as believers, we would be motivated, be excited to go out and share that Jesus with our world in a loving, compassionate, gentle, respectful, humble way, share Jesus with other people. And, Father, if there's somebody sitting here who's not sure, I don't know if there is a God, and I'm not sure about this Jesus thing, I pray, Lord, right now they'd be convicted to ask. Ask somebody. It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be Russ or Chad or Rhett. It could be any other believer in this room. Ask. All of us would be thrilled to tell you about Jesus. Lord, we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.